I'm Brett McGarry. This week on the Couch Potatoes, AMC is set to unleash a show they hope will strike terror into your heart. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. It's the best Blu-ray week of the year for the nerdiest of nerds. Plus, I went to see a crappy horror movie, and I will tell you why I fell asleep in the theater while watching The Strangers Pray at Night. First, it's the news from the couch. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor, would you be mine? A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. I want to tell you something. What would you like to tell you? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet, it worked. That is from the trailer released this week that made millions and millions of people nostalgic for one of their favorite kids' shows, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The trailer from Focus Features is for a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it reminds us why Mr. Rogers was so important and how he was able to teach kids about life in such a unique way. Hello. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with a child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? A divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. By being on the program was a statement for Fred. Now, before anyone hears this and wants to shout at us and say, Mr. Rogers is just a cheap knockoff of Mr. Dress Up, who, of course, is a Canadian icon. As a matter of fact, Mr. Dress Up, a.k.a. Ernie Coombs, was an understudy of Fred Rogers at the CBC, where the show Mr. Rogers debuted in 1962. That's right, Mr. Rogers debuted in Canada and returned a little over a year later to his hometown of Pittsburgh to launch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And then Mr. Dress Up started in 1967. So it's okay to celebrate both Mr. Dress Up and Mr. Rogers. A neighborhood was a place where at times that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> the final episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood aired on August 31st of 2001, and Fred Rogers died February 27th, 2003. Tom Hanks will play Fred Rogers in a movie that begins production this September, so that should be cool. Won't You Be My Neighbor debuted at the Sundance Film Festival this year to mostly excellent reviews. It opens in limited release on June 8th. Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. 
the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? In the common tongue it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. After paying a quarter of a billion dollars just for the rights to Lord of the Rings, Amazon is pumping another $250 million into making two seasons of a prequel series. Are you frightened? Yes, not nearly frightened enough. Guess it makes sense for the company owned by the richest man on Earth, Jeff Bezos, to make the most expensive show on Earth. By comparison, Game of Thrones is spending $15 million on each of the six episodes for the upcoming eighth season, which is a total of $90 million. What Amazon plans to do with $250 million is anyone's guess, but again, they've got the cabbage to throw around on it, and Middle Earth is a rich vein to mine for material. I hope they get into my favorite area. Mr. Frodo! I love all the crazy animals in that one. <laughs> it's just an <laughs> elephant with an O at the front, and it's bigger. And it's really big, yeah. So dumb. Aside from the reports about how much money they're spending, Amazon has been tight-lipped about what the show will actually be, other than to say that it's a prequel. No word on storylines, who might make it, or star in it, or even when it'll be released. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Actually, that may have been me. Oh, you're living the dreams, DP. Yeah. Devil may care attitude. <laughs> Strong guys. Beautiful girlfriend. Sorry I'm late. I was rounding up all the gluten in the world and launching into space where it can't not hurt us ever again. Kiss me like you miss me, Red. A new trailer for Deadpool 2 arrived this week with just under two months to go until it arrives in theaters. Deadpool, for those who don't know, is a Marvel Comics character, although this is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those movies are owned by Disney, while 20th Century Fox has the rights. I guess Disney owns them all now, right? Didn't Disney buy 20th Century Fox? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I guess so. I forgot. Okay. One, one day Disney will own all of us. That's right. So maybe we'll see Deadpool in the MCU. Anyway, whatever. Deadpool is a mutant with the ability to heal himself really fast, kind of like Wolverine, which means he's basically invincible. Ryan Reynolds plays Deadpool, and the first one in February 2016 was a smash hit. $783 million worldwide. Not bad for an R-rated superhero movie. Now in Deadpool 2, he's matched up with Josh Brolin, who plays a partly mechanical mutant from the future named Cable. What in the f***ical is this? My name's Cable. I'm here for the kid. What? The kid? Move or die. Side note, it's a good time to be Josh Brolin. He is in Deadpool 2, opening in May, and 
Thanos in the Avengers movie opening at the end of April. So Deadpool realizes he needs help. I ain't letting Cable kill this kid. But I can't do this alone. We're gonna form a super duper group. Need them tough, morally flexible, and young enough to carry their own franchise for 10 to 12 years. We will be known as X-Force. Isn't that a little derivative? You're absolutely right. X-Force is an actual team in Marvel Comics. Part of the team Deadpool assembles on film includes Terry Crews. He plays a character named Bedlam. Returning characters include Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead, which, by the way, is a great song by the band Monster Magnet. And Deadpool also manages to get in a shot at Ryan Reynolds' real-life wife, Blake Lively. Nat is why Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is pure pornography. Oh, God, I wish I finished college. Blake Lively was in that movie. Deadpool 2 opens May 18th. It lives up to the hype, plus plus. They probably won't even make a three. Yeah, why would they? Stop it too. You killed it. <laughs> what did you do this weekend, Diana? Me? Huh. Nothing very interesting. And so shrugged a legion of superhero movie fans whose blasé, if not downright hostile attitude towards the Justice League has officially made it the lowest moneymaker in the DC Extended Universe. He said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. Maybe with Marvel, but it seems people aren't into the DC stable of characters. How many of you are there? Not enough. Aquaman didn't draw people in. This is crazy. Honestly, I think we're all gonna die. Lord of Tyberg. Relax, Alfred. I'll take it from here. Uh, d do I know you? Nor did the Flash. It's really cool. You guys seem ready to do battle and stuff, but I've never done battle. I just pushed some people and run away. Just like audiences ran away from the theaters. Heck, even the return of Superman couldn't do it. You said you'd come. Now let's hope you're not too late. But he was. Justice League's final worldwide box office total just under $648 million, which is more money than any of us could possibly imagine. But for Hollywood superheroes, ain't a whole lot. Man of Steel made just over $668 million. Suicide Squad, $746 million. Wonder Woman made $821 million. And Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice made nearly $874 million. So, Justice League is lagging behind the other movies in the series, which itself is paling in comparison to what the Marvel movies do three times a year. Black Panther, for example, has made $620 million in North America and is still in theaters, and it long ago crossed the billion-dollar mark worldwide. So, the DCEU has its work cut out for it. This world will fall. Like all the others. 
One misses the days when one's biggest concerns were exploding wind-up penguins. The DCEU has taken the summer blockbuster season off for some reason, returns in December with the Aquaman movie. He was definitely the most entertaining character of the Justice League, so maybe there's hope. But frankly, the smashing critical and box office success of Wonder Woman a year ago was supposed to right the ship and clearly didn't. Wonder Woman 2 is slated for November 2019. Hopefully people still care by then. There's also this standalone Batman movie called The Batman that no one seems to really even know if it will ever be made. I tried looking it up and it really seems like it's up in the air at this point. And there's a Cyborg movie scheduled for 2020, which kind of boggles my mind. I'm going to predict that one actually gets cancelled. Alright. I don't recognize this world. We don't have to recognize it. We just have to save it. A trailer came out this week for a movie that looks like a lot of fun. It's called Under the Silver Lake. I saw you spying on me earlier. No, I wasn't. Okay. See you tomorrow? Good. Andrew Garfield stars as a guy who falls in love and then falls apart when mysterious things start happening, including this sudden departure of his new girlfriend. Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. I found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means to stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages, from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? Then he starts seeing clues and messages everywhere he looks, including his cereal box. Is he on to some big conspiracy, or is he just going crazy? Under the Silver Lake is from the director of It Follows, a horror movie from a couple years back that people really liked. I remember liking the sound of it and wishing I was brave enough to watch it. This feels much more comedic, so maybe I actually stand a chance. It's also from Studio A24, the little independent house behind such films as Moonlight and Lady Bird, so it's got a pretty good track record. Under the Silver Lake opens June 22nd. I really think you're going to find a hidden in a pop song. One, two, three. Can't quite see it, but I'm close. Honey, how are you? Mom, I'm fine. Mostly fine. Um. Why do we assume that all of this information is what we're told it is? Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful, communicating things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us. Yeah. Oh, you think that's weird? A little. Under the Silver Lake. Up next, the biggest film of 2017 comes home to Blu-ray and on demand. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Why are you not married? I make dresses. <laughs> you cannot be married when you make dresses. I'm certain I was never meant to marry. I'm a confirmed bachelor. I'm incurable. That doesn't sound like the biggest movie of 2017. No, but it was one of the best movies of 2017. Daniel Day-Lewis in the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Phantom Thread, one of my very favorites. Uh, that clip does not do it justice. None of the clips do it. Uh, you got to see the whole movie to get it. It's one of those dealios. But it's I highly recommend it. It's, it's not even for a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It is surprisingly not really out there. 
Cool. Yeah, so, and it's much funnier than you think it's going to be. So that's coming to Digital HD this Tuesday, March 27th, along with a couple of other, or at least one other Oscar nominee. All in all, the money in the world uh, from Ridley Scott, starring Oscar nominee Christopher Plummer, who of course famously took over the Kevin Spacey role, also Marky Mark and Michelle Williams in that one, and Molly's Game, starring Jessica Chastain, who runs a high-stakes poker game, that from uh, writer Aaron Sorkin. But of course, the big one comes on DVD and Blu-ray. We talked about it last week or the week before when it was Digital HD. You can get your hard copy Tuesday, nerds. Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Oh my goodness, it's already coming out. That's fast, eh? Yeah, I saw it three times in theaters, so I, I don't think I'm going to rush out and buy this like I did Rogue One oh, you give and it The a, Force Awakens. Give it a couple months, let that price come down a dollar or two? Yeah, sure. Yeah, or, or I whatever. Just, I don't. I, I have. I don't have any burning desire to see it immediately. <laughs> Much like the Force Awakens, I I went and bought it and I watched it that night. I think one and a half times. Really? So, yeah. I watched it and then immediately started over. I only saw Last Jedi once in theater, so I actually, I actually really do want to see it again soon. So I might go pick it up right away. Certainly cool. in the first couple of weeks. Also, uh, season three of Mr. Robot. Oh my Which god! I just realized I still have six episodes of that on my PDR. Oh, all right, and <laughs> I will say no more for fear of spoilers. It was a uh, much better, a nice rebound back from season two. Was a little bit soft or whatever, got a little muddled. Season three was terrific. I thought. Yeah, I was. I was enjoying it, but uh, I'm just getting. Lazy, it would seem. Up next, uh, something else to add to my laziness as AMC is set to debut a rather scary-looking show. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. What happened back there? Our situation is more dire than you may understand. There's nothing to be afraid of. AMC, home of great shows like Better Call Saul, and not so great shows like The Walking Dead, is getting ready to launch a new show that looks like it could fall into the great category, and in fact is getting some pretty great reviews. It's The Terror. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. The Terror is a 10-episode anthology series that debuts on Monday after a special sneak preview after The Walking Dead on Sunday. Ridley Scott is the executive producer of The Terror, which is based on the best-selling book from 2007 by American author Dan Simmons, which is a fictional account of the search for the Northwest Passage. The real event happened in the 1840s. Captain Sir John Franklin's lost expedition to the Arctic with two ships, the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror. The novel and the AMC series follow Franklin and his crew as they deal with starvation, illness, mutiny, cannibalism, and just for fun, they're being stalked across the frozen Arctic by a big monster. Here's an extended clip. As a trusted friend once put it, this place wants us dead. What could have done then? There must be a bear. A bear did that. Now, the real-life wreck 
of the HMS Terror was just recently found in Nunavut in 2016, about 100 kilometers north of where the Erebus was found in 2014. So what really happened remains a mystery, which is why it's okay to have some fun with fiction, so says Ridley Scott. Like anything extraordinary, the best thing to do is try and make as real as possible. We must now begin our last and best efforts to reach her as we become the greatest Argonauts of our age. And the team, production design, wardrobe, costume, casting, camera work, my hat comes off to what they've been doing. When you do a historical project, you have to speculate and dramatize based on letters and reports, whatever limited information you've got. That's where the truth starts to wrestle with fiction. So the reviews I have read range from good to great. The cast is led by Kieran Hines, who played Mance Raider in Game of Thrones, and he was the voice of Steppenwolf in the earlier mentioned which film, Jeff Ron? Justice League. Which has been the what was the the designation it received? It is the lowest box office of all the DC Extended Universe movies. Hooray for the Justice League. Mance Raider's co-stars include Jared Harris, who has been in so many things, The Crown. The Expanse, which is actually one of my favorite shows, season three debuts April 11th. He was in Mad Men, Fringe, I could go on, he's awesome. Tobias Menzies is in the cast too, another Game of Thrones alum, he was Edmure Tully. So great cast, great production design, and by all accounts, great story. You can get your first look at the series after The Walking Dead on Sunday, before its proper debut on Monday on AMC. Again, a 10 episode anthology series about the search for the Northwest Passage the terror. I will not lose another man. We may lose all our men. This kind of darkness, do you see it among us here? I'm in. <laughs> For real? Oh yeah. That sounds really exciting and fun. And hopefully it's not too gross. We'll see. Oh if it's gory, God. then I'm out. Wow, I thought for sure you'd be... We'll see what the monster and the cannibalism all entail. But no, that's cool. I like boat stuff, so... Oh, okay, right on. Well, it's mostly, like, they're they're mostly landlocked by ice. Even still, they got a boat. Okay. (laughs) It's going to sink at some point in the show, right? (laughs) I guess so. Probably at the end, but yeah. I guess so. No, it sounds cool, and I like all those guys you mentioned there in the the cast, so, well, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. And it's only 10 episodes. Yeah, exactly. And AMC must, I hope, they're probably banking on this pretty hard, because... They've sort of, they still got Better Call Saul, but they don't have the Mad Men and the Breaking Bad that they used to. And like we've mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, the Walking Dead thing is, you know, not dying off to put a not too fine a point on it. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So well, like AMC, they, they're looking for a good show that people can actually really get on board with. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out when uh, Better Call Saul season four begins. It looks like production just started on January 9th, so. Who knows when we'll see that. And that's only, like, I can't see that going beyond five seasons, really. Better Call Saul? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. You know what I mean? they got to get on with it already. And by that point, those guys will all have been working on, you know, the greater Breaking Bad universe for, uh, by the, what, like 15 years by the end of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how things change so quickly because there was a period there where AMC was definitely, they, they had 
stolen the crown from HBO, HBO because yeah. they had Breaking Bad and Mad Men and, Mad Men and The Walking Dead yeah. kind of all at once. So they had the prestige shows. They had the, the reigning prestige show, Mad Men, the heir apparent, Breaking Bad, and then The Walking Dead, which was the, kind of the mainstream right. uh, pulp fiction show that quickly became the rating a ratings juggernaut. And also it teetered on the edge of prestige television and then very quickly fell into the abyss as it uh, has become reviled and its ratings continue to tumble. And then FX sort of became like the new AMC for a little while there. It just seemed like all the cool new shows were probably happening on FX. And and then HBO, of course, always really holds the mantle. Yeah. Especially. But them too, they're, of course... Because they know that Game of Thrones ain't going to last forever, so they're looking for something too, I'm sure. Well, that's why they're they're looking at five different pilots or whatever that are Game of Thrones related. They yeah. want to milk that Game of Thrones gravy train all the way. Amazon's going to clobber them all with the the pre Lord of the Rings or whatever they want to call it. Okay, <laughs> just say uh, hopefully hopefully it's not this if not the Cimmerillion, which is a book. Uh, it's kind it's not so much a book as it is like a. It's more like a historical lesson, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It is one of the hardest reads. I, I tried to be a Tolkien nerd after Lord of the Rings, and Same I here. bought all these Tolkien books, and I remember trying to read the Cimmerillion, and uh, it's it. like wading through <laughs> peanut butter up to your waist. It's just horrible. If they're smart, they'll just, you know, they can they got the history of everything with the appendices and all this or whatever, but just make up something new from scratch. We will, I don't care. You can have a farmer and you can, in the Shire or nearby a human or whatever, and give them a fresh name that doesn't appear in any book whatsoever. That is fine. And then you can't get, people can't uh, rag on you for straying from the book if you're just making it up. Well, especially TV showing up books, two different monsters anyway, right? I think they do that with the video games as well. Oh, yeah. They've got tons of Lord of the Rings video games, uh, the Shadow of Mordor or whatever they call, they call them. And I don't play video games, so I don't know what the stories are in those, but they maybe they could uh, take some inspiration from those. Do so. they have any Oliphant-based ones? I'm sure they do. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> okay. How about uh, what's this uh, thing you're looking into about dogs? Oh, yes. At the theaters this weekend, Wes Anderson, one of my favorite directors, has a new movie out called Isle of Dogs. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. You say Isle of Dogs very quickly, it sounds like you're saying, I love dogs which is cool, and I think that's probably why he chose it. Anyways, this movie is animated in that sort of stop-motion puppetry way that uh, Anderson's fantastic Mr. Fox was a few years ago, which is how he can have a bunch of dogs be the characters. They're voiced by Ed Norton, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, Bob Balaban, Liev Schreiber, and are led by Brian Cranston. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're King. You're Duke. You're Boss. I'm Chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. A 12-year-old boy shows up to look for his lost dog, and the adventure begins. It looks like quirky and charming and a lot of fun, just like all his other movies. We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? No. I've lost all of my pride. 
Spots, if he's alive, may very well be living even at this moment as a captive prisoner. Somebody is up to something. Isle of Dogs is in the mid-90s on Rotten Tomatoes. The consensus being Ed Anderson is at his detail-oriented best, delivering a gorgeous-looking film that tells a charming story. That sounds about right. I guess we'll be comparing this one to Fantastic Mr. Fox because of the similar animation style. I've actually been meaning to rewatch that one for a while. I should get on that. I'll definitely be seeing Isle of Dogs soon. Anderson, again, really one of my favorites. His last movie was The Grand Budapest Hotel, which was a crazy caper movie that a lot of people I know who I would not have thought would have enjoyed it really enjoyed it uh, i thought it was a lot of fun it's another one of his signatures that you always know you have a good time at a wes anderson movie even if there is some heavy dramatic bits in his movies there ends up being more lighthearted stuff to even it up uh, i think my favorite is still the royal tenenbaums interesting story even though it doesn't have much of a plot but it's got that style tone and performances from a stellar cast putting it over the top actually i think it's probably Maybe Gene Hackman's finest performance, which I know is a bold statement, but he is terrific in it. And I was just thinking of him. I always, every few times, four times a year, I think, man, I wish Gene Hackman would be in a movie again. I can't believe he retired yeah. that long ago. Uh, I don't know. He'd be an elderly man at this point, but he could do a small role, I think. Anyways, until then, I'm happy to take any and all new Wes Anderson movies, and I'm excited to check out Isle of Dogs. Up next, I'll tell you about the movie that made me fall asleep in the theater. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, and hey, I went to see a movie. Only my second movie of 2018. Zoics. It has not been a great year for movies. By this time last year, we had John Wick 2, Get Out, and Triple X. That's true. Split also <laughs> came out last year. And we were on the cusp of Fast and the Furious. Oh, Triple X. <laughs> that took me a second to <laughs> Jeff's joking, because it was bad. Good bad. Yeah. Fun bad. But uh, yeah, so I clearly I spent way too much time at home. And it wasn't even a good movie. Ugh. I saw The Strangers Pray at Night. Leave us alone! It's a sequel 10 years in the making. 10 years! The Strangers Pray at Night involves the family as their road trip brings them to a secluded trailer park where they spend the night. This place seems empty. I think everybody leaves after Labor Day. This is nice, right? There's someone else staying here? The park is deserted. At least it looks that way. Until... Is Tamara home? I think you have the wrong trailer. I thought we were all alone. What the hell? Dad? And then three masked lunatics start to terrorize the family. Leave us alone! But we've just started. All right, so first off, I have no idea why we have a sequel 10 years after the first Strangers movie. I mean, don't get me wrong, I liked that first one, starring Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman trying to have a romantic night in a cabin when the same three masked crazies visit them with knives and pain. 
but 10 years later? Also, immediately at the beginning, it says, based on real events, and so many horror movies say that now. So I looked into it. It's super loosely based on real events. Like the director says a young woman once knocked on his door in the same creepy fashion as the one in the movie, and then there were a couple of burglaries in his neighborhood. So <laughs> That's not even close to the same thing. <laughs> That's like saying Air Force One is based on real events because I've been on a plane before. <laughs> I know. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, and then the rest of it is inspired by the whole Charlie Manson saga, so give me a break. Some more background on the family involved. The mom, Cindy, is played by Christina Hendricks of Mad Men fame, currently starring in the NBC comedy crime drama Good Girls. The daughter, Kinsey, is played by Bailey Madison, who played Little Snow White in ABC's Once Upon a Time. The son, Luke, is played by a guy named Louis Pullman, a.k.a. Son of Bill. And the dad, Mike, is played by Martin Henderson, who's been in lots of stuff. I recognized him as the boyfriend from The Ring. And then there are the three lunatics and the masks. So in the intro today, I said The Strangers Pray at Night was crappy. Maybe that's unfair because I was still mildly entertained. And in fact, it has a 39% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't bad for a scary movie. But uh, still, more bad reviews than good. I will admit it had some decent scares, some decent suspense. Put you right there with this family who's trying to understand why they're being targeted by this trio of tormentors. It's also scary because there doesn't appear to be a motive. These people just do it for fun, I guess. Unfortunately, the film succumbs to many typical horror movie cliches, like characters being idiots. Like, I don't know, all four members of the family leave the trailer, and not one of them brings a phone with them. That's not realistic. It's stupid. And uh, the musical score is way over the top at times. And it had some bizarre camera work where there are these random shots that zoom in. Feels like something out of the 70s, which isn't necessarily bad. Like, I like that technique, provided it fits with the tone of the film. It just didn't. It felt like they were just shoehorning in this <laughs> random shot, and it, it didn't work for me. And as I mentioned, I fell asleep at one point, just for a minute or so, and I was slapped wide awake by a pickup truck bashing through the wall on screen. So that gave me a mild heart attack, but... Yeah, I still fell asleep. Overall, it's just a run-of-the-mill slasher, which is thankfully only 85 minutes long, and it has an unnecessarily stupid oh. ending. So two couch cushions out of five for The Stranger's Prey at Night. Yikes. Uh, falling asleep in the movie is, that's rarely, you know, not really a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah. So don't, I, I can't recommend The Strangers. I mean, if you love scary movies, there's a good chance you've already seen it anyway. Next week, I'm going to try to have a review for you of Ready Player One, and maybe Ooh. I'll uh, double dose on the, the overdose on the CGI and go see Pacific Rim Uprising as well. Oh that's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, it requires getting up off the couch. Don't bother. <laughs> <laughs>